Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here is the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. Who is God and what is he like? Obviously, this is far too broad of a subject to go deeply into every element. So much of this will seem surface level, but a few areas will get more attention. First, God is. His very name is I am. From Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 to 15, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Don't you just love how Moses tried to talk to God as if God needs his help to think of possible scenarios? What if? And then what if? Surely we can relate to that foolish approach that Moses took. Meanwhile, the simple and vital fact that God is real that God is, I am who I am, is so important, particularly these days, the next characteristic of God will make that more evident. That is that God is true. John fourteen six, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I said this characteristic would make it even more evident why the reality of God is so vital for us today. Nearly 60% of Americans, including those who claim to be Christians, reject the very idea of actual truth and objective reality. That means, in part, they're susceptible to believing that God is not actually the one who sets the standards for right and wrong behaviors. But in fact, God is the lawgiver. From Deuteronomy chapter 30, Verse 16, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. How blessed we are to have been born in a nation founded on the principles that God is creator, lawgiver, and provider. President Truman told the Attorney General's Conference in February 15, 1950, quote, The fundamental basis of this nation's laws was given to Moses on the Mount. The fundamental basis of our Bill of Rights comes from the teachings we get from Exodus and St. Matthew, from Isaiah and St. Paul. I don't think we emphasize that enough these days. If we don't have a proper fundamental moral background, we will finally end up with a totalitarian government which does not believe in rights for anybody except the state, unquote. But some apparently many people want to say, well, that was then and this was now. They want to reject the very nature of God again by claiming that even if he did set the standard equally for all, things change. So God has to change with the times. Well, no, that is a lie straight from the enemy because God is unchanging. Hebrews thirteen eight. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God set the standard, God made the laws, God made the rules, and they apply equally to everyone. That 
is what the sought-after condition known as equality actually is. But some of the Mosaic rules changed, people say. Yes, but those which, uh, that changed were malum prohibitum, not malum in se. Rules that were malum prohibitum were those which had only one moral element, namely, obedience to God in all things. Even when God proclaimed, for example, that the Mosaic rules against eating certain foods were not to be enforced anymore, he pointed out that the moral element of those rules was unchanging. Obey God in all things. And those laws that were malum and say were so because the prohibited actions themselves were morally repugnant and against the character of God. Those things, such as murder, dishonesty, and all of the sexual sins, never change, because the character of God never changes. God is also holy. 1 Samuel 2.2 There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. And what is one of the key elements of the character of God? That he is holy. God is the judge from Ecclesiastes 12:14 For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing whether good or evil So God's not merely holy he is the one and only ultimate judge Now of course being judged by a completely holy judge doesn't sound like a lot of fun and it shouldn't but it doesn't have to be the end of the story stay tuned for that Righteous and just are other characteristics of God from Psalm 56. And the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for he is a God of justice. The co-founder of Disciple Nations Alliance, Scott Allen, and my first guest on the Core Principles podcast, released a new book called Why Biblical Justice is Not Social Justice. It's very timely, it's very valuable, as this word justice is being deconstructed and really abused. Biblical justice is conformity to God's unchanging, holy, moral standard. Other types of justice include communitive justice, which is living in right relationship with God and with others, and that includes giving other people their due as image bearers of God. There is also distributive justice, which is impartially rendering judgment, righting wrongs, meeting out punishment for lawbreaking. Now, this is reserved for God and for God-ordained authorities. Those include parents in the home, elders in the church, teachers in the school, and civil authorities in the state. But none of these actual forms of justice have anything to do with what is called social justice, which is deconstructing traditional systems and structures deemed by so-called social justice warriors to be oppressive and then redistributing resources and power from perceived oppressors to perceived victims in pursuit of equality of outcomes, which of course is perverse and not equality at all, as we've already discussed. God is the king. From Psalm 99, 1 and 2, The Lord reigns, let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Great is the Lord in Zion. He is exalted over all the nations. 
We've seen that God has more awe-inspiring qualities and roles than we can even fathom, but we've really got much more to observe about him. He is the king. He is the only authority. Heaven is not a democracy. Heaven is not a republic. Heaven is a monarchy. But unlike any earthly king, everything is completely different with a truly holy king. So even though we would want no part of a completely centralized authority on earth, we should look forward to serving the only king in heaven. God is almighty. From Psalm 89, 7-9, In the counsel of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. You see, God is not limited in any way, and the next few characteristics will highlight that. God is almighty. There's no limit whatsoever to his authority and his power. There's a certain question that atheists have tried to trip up believers with. They say, could God make a rock so heavy, so dense, that even he could not lift it? And the correct answer, and the one that will make the atheists go crazy, is yes, God can make a rock so heavy that it is absolutely unliftable. And then, of course, he can lift it. God is not only almighty, but he is also everywhere. God is omnipresent. Jeremiah 23:24 says, Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? God is everywhere at all times, everywhere at all times. And in that statement, I did not repeat myself. God is everywhere at all times, everywhere at all times. That is, you and I are here now, wherever we are at whatever time this is. And God is here now, and God is here forever, past, present, and future. And at the same time, from our perspective, God is everywhere else, all the time. God is everywhere else forever, past, present, and future. This actually is how one can reconcile the misperceptions about predestination versus free will. They are not mutually exclusive from God's perspective because he is not constrained by time or space, as we are constrained by both time and space. So while we're incapable of understanding certain things like that, God is not limited in any way. God is omniscient. Genesis 2, 16-17 And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Hmm. You see, God created humans in his image and likeness. But while we are like God in the ways that he made us like him, we are absolutely not God. And it is notable that the difference he first established in the garden was that we don't know everything. Now, that limitation frustrates some of us, but we should be thankful for it. Paul described our limits as seeing through a glass darkly. But when we are with him eternally, that limit will not concern us anymore. And did I just mention eternity? Well, God is everlasting. 
Isaiah 40, 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. It's an impossible concept for our finite minds, but God is everlasting, eternal. And the fact that the enormity of some of these characteristics of God is beyond our understanding should not frustrate us any longer, because we know it is his design that we should have that limitation. And so, while we cannot understand all the characteristics of God, we can simply worship him. He is worthy of our worship and praise. God is glorious. From John 1, 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, Jesus showed us as a human an image of just how amazing and glorious God is. Now, the next characteristic of God is one that non-believers probably would count as negative. God is jealous. Joshua twenty-four nineteen. Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. Now, of course, earthly jealousy is not good, but God is jealous in a different, entirely holy way. His jealousy is for us, whom he created and whom he loves beyond our comprehension. So, when he commanded us, you shall have no other gods besides me, that is holy and that is right. And the next characteristic of God is also difficult for many to grasp. Indeed, people who simply must understand everything in spite of what we've already learned can be divided over this concept. God is three and God is one. From John 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then in John fourteen twenty six, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So God is three and one. This concept of the Holy Trinity is divisive among some people. But God is Father, Son, and Spirit. And God is one. God is light. From John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So God is light. Jesus is described as the bright and morning star. And what does light do? Light reveals, light warms, and light gives life. God is loving. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves knows God and is born of God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Now here's one that people dwell on without prompting, and that's a fine thing. It's important to note that these references to love are true love, and they have nothing to do with earthly concepts of love that don't align with them. It's a very fine thing to dwell on the loving nature of God, so long as that doesn't cause us to ignore all of his other qualities. 
and our responsibilities in light of them. And it is very important that this quality, that God is love, is certainly true, because love is the motivator for good and great things. Love is prime mover. Another easy-to-accept quality of God is that he is merciful. In John chapter 8, we uh, see the story of the woman caught in adultery who was going to be stoned. This is when uh, Jesus told those who were going to stone her, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And when he said this, those who heard began to go away one at a time until Jesus was left with only the woman standing there. Then Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So mercy is not getting what we deserve, which is punishment. But note that Jesus did not abandon righteousness, of course. He commanded repentance. Stop doing what you were doing. God is gracious. In John 1.14, again, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. An acronym for grace would be God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is getting what we do not deserve. Keep in mind that God's ways are not man's ways. God's ways are above our ways. There's four more descriptors of God that I will share, and these next three are nouns rather than adjectives. God is a planner. In fact, he is the planner. From Jeremiah 29:11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And in Genesis 3:15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. It happens that the torture, known as crucifixion, involves striking the heel. In Genesis, God was showing his plan for how Jesus was going to conquer sin and death. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God is the planner. We should follow his plans, therefore our benefit. God is creator. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Also in John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. God is the creator. This is so important because everything belongs to him. We are only caretakers for a short time. Everything we could ever have belongs to him. And since everything we have belongs to him, it's great to know that God is provider. 
He is called Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides. In Genesis chapter 22, we find the story of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham has been told that he should sacrifice Isaac to honor God. And Abraham is going to faithfully carry that out. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar, arranged the wood. Then he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And as he reached out his hand to slay his son, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there was a thicket in which he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it instead of sacrificing his son. Abraham called that place Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Finally, God is relational. Genesis 3, 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. If you zoom in on the space right between where Eve had eaten the forbidden fruit and when she offered it to Adam, within that space, Adam was still in perfect relationship with God, but Eve was fallen. Adam had to choose not only do I violate God's rule, but Adam also had to decide do I abandon Eve? Adam didn't merely choose disobedience over obedience. Adam didn't merely choose sin over virtue. Adam chose Eve over God. And God, of course, knew Adam would reject him for Eve. God made us to need relationships with each other. That is part of his image and likeness into which he created us. And that is why, with all of his many non-contradictory, amazing qualities and characteristics, God planned how he could restore us to relationship with him. For a time, that was through the law that he gave us. We violate that law, of course, because we are not perfect. We are not holy. God made provision for that and planned it from the garden, as we've already seen. If we will accept the sacrifice Jesus made for us, then, and only then, can we be in right relationship with God eternally? Core Principles Podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles Podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information. And please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.